United. Hey, hello. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing today. What do we want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Atlanta Film Festival or? Headline? Why don't we talk no. about Milos Forman first? That, I think that's I think the way to go. Yes. Let's do Milos Forman. Yes. Uh, he he, he uh, it was just announced that he passed away at the age of 87, I believe. Um. And uh, a few months ago, I had emailed for him, and I was told that he wasn't well. Mm. So I thought I, I thought it might be imminent. But he yeah. was the, he was the man that made the movie that made me fall in love with movies. I, That's a big statement. Man. That is. Saw it when I was in seventh grade, and I was like, "Oh, there's more to movies than just like bullwhips and fedoras." <laughs> so we're, we're talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't that even one's... see a good copy of it. I taped it off of late night WG at Chicago with commercial breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when <laughs> I finally saw you. an uncut version of it, I saw an uncut version of it. I was like, wow. It's like, man, this really is a good movie. Yeah. No, it <laughs> is. Well, you know, when I first saw it, I saw it that uh, my parents took me to see it at the Lenox Square Theater uh, when I was, you know, when it came out. So I wasn't even 10 years old. And I just, I just fell in love with it immediately. It just, uh, it was just, it shot into my top ten list of, of, you know, at that young age, and just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It just, it's, it's drama just blows you away, and it's, you know, it is one, still one of the greatest movies ever made. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. And just the, just like you know, the way it became part of your. I don't know about you guys, but whenever you'd have like a substitute teacher in high school or something, you'd always call her like Nurse Ratchet or whatever. <laughs> I'd do that, or you know, you'd always refer to someone on like you didn't like them as Nurse Nurse Ratchet. I mean, it just became part of your the lexicon. I mean, yeah, it really did. She's brilliant in that. In yeah, the movie she is. And and uh, and the entire cast is really. Is there a bad performance in that movie? No. I mean, even the even Doctor Spivey, you know, who you've talked to, Jamie. Uh, the, that uh, that who's a real doctor uh, and uh, has one of the great scenes with Nicholson, you know, checking him into the uh, to the hospital and everything. It's just uh, magnificent, and it. it's just a, it's just an yeah, amazing movie. You know what happened to that hospital? The hospital was closed down for a little while because it was abandoned for a while. They found <clears throat> they found like a house of horrors. From all the patients that were in that hospital, they saw like um, uh, hundreds of jars of human flesh and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was, I know. So they closed it down, and they and they made it partly when they refurbished it. It's partly a Cuckoo's Nest museum now. Mm. Um, that would be very interesting to go to. Yeah, it would be. If you're um, if you're ever in Oregon, <laughs> and, you know, how often are we in Oregon? I mean, why haven't we even thought of that? Yeah, that would be an interesting trip. I do have to say something about Milos Forman, uh, something a little bit bigger. I was reading on Hollywood Elsewhere, you know, our, one of our favorite movie blogs, uh, Jeffrey Wells confessed in a tribute to uh, Foreman that, uh, you know, his most highly treasured film from him was not some of the films that we've mentioned, you know, or, you know, Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, but uh, instead was a much more uh, maligned and uh, and probably 
lesser seen movie. So I was really surprised, so surprised that I had to leave a comment. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read the comment. And in, in by way of that, talk about some of Foreman's other movies. It's not very long. Uh, Jeff, I love that you paid your ultimate tribute to the movie Hair, which I always felt was critically maligned for simply not being made in 1968. The fact is, it's a brilliantly realized, stunningly emotional film from Mr. Foreman and his massive cast and crew. From its quietly rural and urbanely explosive opening, The Age of Aquarius, performed dynamically by Wren Woods in a dizzying, equally showy 360-degree camera pan, to the hilariously bawdy white boys slash black boys, led by Nell Carter and Ellen Foley, uh, John Savage's amazingly moving uh, Where Do I Go?, set against a miraculously deserted and then instantly bustling Wall Street. Treat Williams' many exuberant numbers, like I Got Life, performed on top of a table in a fancy fancy uh, house. Uh, and most especially, Cheryl Barnes's stunningly uh, emotional rendition of Easy to Be Hard, uh, after she's been bawled out by her wandering husband, played by Dorsey Wright, who's abandoned uh, has abandoned her and their young son. Uh, in the long history of my movie watching career or avocation, if you will, uh, upwards of over twenty five thousand titles, more for including shorts and TV films. There are only a few scenes nowadays that get me right in my copious gut every single time. For instance, the endings of E.T. or A Little Romance or uh, It's a Wonderful Life and probably the entirety of Ponette, the French film. As those movies always do the trick for me. But this scene gets me weeping copiously for a full five minutes because the song is so intrinsically moving because Barnes is absolutely perfection in her short, closely watched performance, and because Foreman's intense visual orchestration of the sequence, which is so simultaneously alienated and intensely intimate. I saw Hair on the big screen only once in Brooklyn at Park Showing, you know, the huge screen, and it was massively well attended, really surprised me. And while I was weeping during Easy to be Hard, I could hear a little kid close to me saying, Mommy, that, that man is crying. Well, I was a mess, a joyous mess. I couldn't hide it. I never could, never will. The only scenes in hair that caused me to bristle are the LSD-tinged wedding fantasy sequence, which I find embarrassingly hokey and clearly filmed by someone who'd never taken the substance, and and the joyous Good Morning Starshine set in a rushing convertible full of hippies, because I sort of wince at the brash sort of Vegasy arrangement overtaking Beverly D'Angelo's sweet vocals. I much prefer the Broadway version or even the Top 40 hit by Oliver. But as with many scenes in Hair, most of Fel- Foreman's other movies, 
reduced me to overwhelmed tears. His top masterwork, which we agree on, once once flew one flew over the cuckoo's nest, of course. Uh, uh, but also the unfairly treated ragtime, which I guess won't get the director's cut it screams out for. And also Amadeus, which I love, but I feel a little worn out by. Uh, and you know, then, then there's the there's the satirical taking off, uh, the Czech films, uh, Loves of a Blonde, and Fireman's Ball, and and his last truly remarkable film, The People versus Larry Flint. Uh, I know some people like Man in the Moon, but I find that movie very flawed. As uh, fantastic as all of these titles are, though, Hair is still and always will be closest to my heart. It's just magnificent, you know. So, uh, you know, R.I.P., Mr. Foreman, and thank you. Now, why would you leave something so heartfelt on a a cynical (laughs) bastard like Jeffrey Wells' (laughs) website? Oh, geez, I don't know, you know, trying to open the guy up a little bit. But, uh, you know. Well, that was very very nice. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a big loss, you know. Um, he was a great, one of the greats. So, you know, Jesus, uh, I can watch. Spoke very well of him. No, oh, yeah. Um, when I spoke to him, and um, that was a big break for him, was hair. So between between Milos Forman and um, Sidney Lumet, I mean, that was his career. <laughs> oh yeah, Trick Williams. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he had a little, a little bit of a '90s surge there for a little while with uh, things, things yeah, to do in Denver where you're dead. Yeah, I mean, that was that's supposed to be his comeback. That's what I'm saying. They made him. They gave they gave him a career like that. Mm-hmm. I also love him in the Late Shift as Michael Ovitz. He's great in that. No, he is. Um, no, that's right. He, he's very good in that, actually. Yes. So, but uh, yeah, Milos was boy, he was great. He's also not a bad actor, too. You know, the one movie he did, uh, Heart, Heartburn, you know, with Streep and Nicholson. Uh, not a great movie, surprisingly, but uh, he's very good in it, very memorable, and, uh, you know, uh, multi talented and uh, just uh, uh, too bad we didn't get a chance to speak to him uh, for the audience. So. But, uh, yeah, I tried many, many times over the years to get him, and then I never could. I think the last, the last movie he was able to make was the um, was this Natalie Portman movie that he, he did, mm-hmm. Goya's oh. Ghosts, or yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, about the painter, right? And I remember right. Valmont had the bad fortune of being released really close to uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the one I still, uh, I still haven't seen both of those movies, Goya's Ghost and, uh, so, uh, and uh, Valmont. So I guess I have some, some Milos Foreman to catch up on, but uh, all the rest of them, except for some of the very, very early features um, and some of his shorts, of course, are, uh, you know, I still haven't caught. So there's still there's still some foremen out there that uh, you know I can be overwhelmed by again. <clears throat> so uh, of course this week is the beginning of the Atlanta Film Festival, and uh, it's still a really great festival. It's probably one of the best ones, 
And uh, we started off by going to see some Georgia documentaries and Georgia uh, Georgia short narratives. And there were some uh, really, really, uh, you know, the documentary Georgia Doc program is uh, is always one of my favorites. Um, uh, you know, I just I love short docs if they're heartfelt and um, you know uh, this one had some really interesting kind of almost experimental pieces. Uh, we have a we had a uh, building here called uh, the Georgia Archives building uh, that uh, recently got uh, imploded. It was a classic you know windowless building here that uh you know got imploded and and destroyed and there was sort of an experimental film on that which uh you know he the filmmaker said uh the filmmaker is uh Adam Forrester it's a very short movie uh, this review will be longer than the movie but uh uh he said he had done like a full documentary on on this but he ended up just using a one shot that he had done of the implosion of the building which he shows backwards. Uh, the, the movie's called Archive. You know, with shorts, you don't know how you're going to get to see them, but it was good. Uh, the best one was, a called, was called The Last Man You Meet, which was inspired by Six Feet Under, this, the filmmaker's uh, 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 love of Six Feet Under. His name is Chris Bone, and he profiles uh, an Atlanta funeral director uh, going through the motions of his job. Uh, it's about seven minutes long and i really really dug it i um i really wanted to see more that's a common complaint i have is uh you know i wish movies were longer uh you know there were there were a lot of uh, a lot of good movies here there was one that didn't work that we'll skip over but i really liked one called uh walls of hope uh which is by uh elizabeth uh pritchett and uh it's a documentary about uh, the Walls of Hope Project in Savannah, Georgia, where they have paintings of inspirational people uh, posted up all over town and with a quote next to them. And they're really beautiful and kind of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, folk art uh, flavored. And uh, it's really just a documentary. It's a, a 15-minute documentary about, uh, about that whole project. It was really, really good. But then, and we won't go into too much on this, we got into the Georgian narratives. And when you get into the narrative thing, of course, what you have to worry about is the acting. You have to worry about, uh, you know, is the acting going to be strong? Uh, it's really more important than the story or the photography or whatever, because if the acting doesn't work, your movie's not going to work. Uh, it just won't. It can't. It can't doesn't matter how great your story is or your camera work is. That's the problem with uh, these uh, a lot of these movies. But uh, one movie stu- stood out. Uh, it's by uh, Raymond Wood, and it's called Cells. Uh, it's, uh, a doctor is held captive by a group of masked intruders uh, who uh, ask him why uh, billions of dollars uh, go wasted at his hospital every year. And so... Uh, and uh, really went surprising places. It's a fifty, it's a thirteen minute doc, and I mean uh, narrative, and uh, it, it was it was just uh, the most surprising, most well acted. Again, the movie that proves my thesis that if the acting is great, 
you can you can you can achieve greatness with the shorts. So, and this uh, this really worked, and uh, it was like on the level of a of a really really good narrative. Uh, but um, so we started off with that, and after we saw, <laughs> well, then we went to the we had a really good first day, uh, and then uh, we had the second day and. Uh, Movie-wise, it was great, but the experience wasn't great. Um, the second day uh, uh, consisted of the opening night movie, which was possibly the best opening night movie I've ever seen at the festival. And this includes something like American Splendor, which opened, you know, back in two, two, 2002 uh, but or 2003 or something. But uh, this movie is fantastic it played at sundance uh, and it was a hit there and it got very very vociferous raves it's called blind spotting it's directed by carlos lopez estrada uh and it stars david diggs and rafael casal now those are names that you might not know yet but if you're a fan of the stage show hamilton and its soundtrack and everything like that then you do know them because David Diggs played, I believe, Thomas Jefferson, and um, I'm not sure Rafael Casal's uh, role, uh, but it was a major one. And uh, uh, through that, they've uh, they've had a longtime friendship, and through that longtime friendship comes this screenplay for Blind Spotting, which is, uh, and they, uh, you know, uh, I think they're one of the producers in it, uh, and uh, you know, so the story of blind spotting they play two uh la west oakland uh movers um you know with a van and everything and uh david david diggs's character colin has uh is going through probation uh he has three more days of probation to go before he can kind of start his new life and uh, so he has to keep his record clean, and um, so he's. But he's the driver of the van and everything, and uh, and uh, Casal is sort of a little bit of a troublemaker, you know. Uh, not not overly. There's there uh, there's good humor throughout the movie. The the crowd just really ate it up. It was hugely popular, but it wasn't just a comedy. This is a movie that could easily be cons- compared to Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Uh, it is about the gentrification of a poor neighborhood and how it is affecting the people in it. And um, so uh, in the process of doing their job, uh, they get into some trouble, and uh, and they have to delicately maneuver their way through without getting shot by police or getting robbed or, <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, losing their jobs or whatever. It, it is, it is, uh, re- it is hysterically funny a lot of times, but like do the right thing. It is also, uh, very sobering at times, very effective, incredible editing, incredible score, a massively great scene with uh, David Diggs' character uh, launching into a uh, 
a freestyle rap uh, about how hard life is in this realm. And uh, it was a magnificent movie. It is Carlos Lopez Estrada's debut film, and it is on fire, on absolute fire. Uh, It is an absolute must-see. You will definitely kick yourself if you don't see this one. With an audience, too, because the audience was just rapturous over it. So, And they were there. Uh, David Diggs uh, accepted a special innovator award. And, um, you know, the really the innovators here are the entire cast and crew. Beautifully edited, beautifully shot, very colorful, uh, very musical. It was just the best, best opening night movie I've seen in, you know, forever. Uh, the last movie, this is a very, very interesting story. Okay, so if you've listened to this show for a little while, uh, you might have, you might remember me telling a story about a filmmaking couple named Katie and Alex Orr. They've been guests on the show uh, in connection with an earlier movie, maybe their debut movie, which was done, you know, a few few years ago called Blood Car. Uh, and uh, some of you may remember a story that I told one time about going to the Delonia Film Festival as a reviewer, and I had reviewed 13 features, and 13, 14 features, and some of the reviews were very, very positive. Some of them were middling, including their movie that had some good stuff, that had some bad stuff. And then there were some movies that I was very negative about. And they uh, knew who I was, they being the couple, and their crew. Their crew was there. They were surrounding me. And Katie uh, said, why would you negatively review independent movies? I said, well, I'm, here's a reviewer. I call them as I see them. Bah. And uh, they didn't really like that. They were obviously intoxicated, and uh, everybody was intoxicated, even the crew. And uh, so I was surrounded by a bunch of drunk filmmakers who were uh, threatening me. And um, it was a shocking thing that I'd never had happen to me before, and it shook me. And um, especially on a site like mine, which I really concentrate on positive stuff, but I'm there to cover the new films and cover them honestly. And I can't pretend to love something that I just absolutely had no love for. But it was difficult for them to get that and, they insulted the site, filmicability, and everything. And yeah, it's not the greatest site in the world, but I do my best with it, and I don't make a dime off of it uh, or anything. So I uh, say said to them, you know, if we want to sit here and yell about it, I can yell louder than you. And they went on for a little bit, <laughs> and then. Uh, you know, there were it got heated, and then then it's you know Katie stopped it all and uh, and got everybody in the cars. And uh, a filmmaker who was watching the drama said, "You handled yourself very well there, Dean. It was it was 
uh, I don't think I could have handled it that well. Um, so, okay, so the new movie is called Poor Jane, and it is directed by Katie Orr. It is her directorial debut, and it is produced by Alex Orr. Uh, and uh, and you know, uh, so I said, well, I want to see it. And I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to go see it, and they might hate me. I don't know. We we don't talk, so uh, we haven't talked since then. But uh, they knew, you know, when we did see each other, they recognized me. Uh, so I watched the movie, and this movie is fantastic. Uh, it um, it is a movie. I, if I was going to compare it to a film that you might have seen. It would be Francis Ford Coppola's The One, The Rain People. It is a movie about a wife dissatisfied in a marriage, toying with going out, exploring the world, and seeing what she can find out there. See what kind of fulfillment she can find, not just sexual, but just emotional fulfillment. Her husband is a little bit of a drunk kind of bully, and uh, she wants out. Uh, and she she does. Uh, get out there and um, goes to a party and um, runs into a a, a sort of heavy set guy uh, played by Robert Longstreet, who's got many credits on this thing. He's a heavy set guy, got a beard, and this guy, uh, this character, is extremely funny, extremely warm. Um, very honest, uh, eventually. There's a really funny scene where they, uh, do, uh, they do a, uh, pan of, uh, marijuana brownies and they go a little bit overboard and have to, uh, you know, they just ate one and then they said, well, you want to have another one? And then, then when they have the other one, then they're, uh, you know, petrified on the edge of the bed, you know, they can't even move. But, uh, uh, the movie is really funny and very, very real. It is like a, uh, and this was their goal, Katie's goal, was to uh, do kind of a movie like a John Cassavetes movie, um, where, uh, you know, maybe not maybe not that everybody is, you know, crazy drunk and, uh, and going on monologues and stuff, but, uh, but a movie that feels real. These are real life things. None of it is improvised. There's only one scene that's improvised in it. Everything is really, really detailed. They detailed written out and uh excessively rehearsed and uh and as a result the acting is very, very good. Um the uh editing in it is it's done in very long takes, I would say, but the that doesn't mean that the editing by Adam Penny Penny is uh, not good. It's very, very good. He's chosen just the right takes, just the right pace of things. And uh, I would say that uh, if you're trepidatious because Cassavetes might not be your thing, I would say this will be your thing because it is a little bit more entertaining, accessible than, uh, you know, sort of the wonderful but drunk ramblings of uh of Cassavetti's characters 
uh, maybe not drunk always, but uh, at least addled in some way. And, and that's um, just on the Cabot show. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, um, it is a really, really fantastic movie. So, afterwards, okay, so first she comes up and she puts her hand on my shoulder. She said, Did you like it? And I said, I "I did. I was really captivated by it. I was really moved by it. And uh, she said, Oh, good. She turned to one of the. you know, guest or whatever, her friends said, "This is this is the guy that we accosted one night after the film festival because because he wrote a bad review of some film I can't even remember or whatever." And uh, I, you know, so I said, "Oh, this is sounding pretty good." And uh, so she was really busy, really really busy, of course, because it's her first film and she's very very social butterfly and and doing doing the thing that a director with a debut film is supposed to be doing. And um and so but uh you know, they had a reception afterwards and instead of going to another movie, I said, you know what, I'm gonna stay out here, be social, see if I can make some friends here. And uh so I'm standing in line for, you know, uh, a drink that I never get or some food that I never get <laughs> and uh uh Alex comes up to me. Now, Alex now, Alex Orr, is not only the <clears throat> the producer of, you know, such films as Blue Ruin, you know, uh, um, which is fantastic. And I could go on, on down the line of things that he's produced that have filmed in or near Atlanta. But uh, speaking of Atlanta, he is one of the producers of the Donald Glover show, Atlanta which is probably the most acclaimed show on television. So he saw me, and he said, Dean, I'm so glad to see you. I said, ah. And I was like, I, I was gobsmacked. And he said, said uh, I just have to tell you, you know, we've carried this for the past few years, but we are so, you know, humbly sorry about the way we talked to you that night. We were totally out of line. We were coming off of a nine-hour, you know, celebratory uh, binge, you know, since we'd finished the movie and so forth. A is for Alex was the movie. And uh, which Katie Orr, he and Katie Orr starred in and, you know, are, are, you know, very good in it. He just profusely apologized. Well, okay. All of that's off my shoulder now. All of that's off my shoulder. But here's the kicker here. I thought that Katie Orr was the uh, was the lead of the movie. I thought she was going to be playing the lead. And when I watched the movie, I said, gosh, I guess I haven't seen Katie in a long time because she looks really different or whatever. You know, who... who? Okay, so... The movie's over, and I'm overwhelmed by it. I said, man, she was great in this. <laughs> and then I'm watching it, and I'm watching the credits, as I'm a credit net. And I'm sitting and watching, and you know who was playing the lead? I did not even recognize her. You guys might even not know her name. I'm not sure, but if I mention a couple of her credits, you will know her. Her name is Brandy Burr. Uh, now... 
her two biggest credits are playing a lawyer uh, who has an affair with the white mayor in The Wire. Teresa D'Agostino was her character's name. Mm-hmm. She was in about 15 episodes. Okay. But she also made a big splash in a sort of quasi-on-the-fence kind of documentary called Actress a few years ago. Mm. Uh, mm. And uh, she's fantastic in that. Uh, so, uh, you know, we met a few years ago, and we really, really hit it off. We met in Atlanta. She was here doing something. Uh, I don't know what. And uh, I met her along with, uh, you know, a couple couple of the, the director of uh, of another movie and so forth and the star of another movie. And, uh, and uh, I was, uh, you know, we had a great conversation before I even knew who she was or what her name was or whatever. And we just really, really hit it off. And uh, it was funny because uh, sometimes I'll meet somebody and get very intimate with them very quickly. Intimate in, in the sense of very revelatory about things that normally I am, uh, you know, more close-mouthed about. And particularly things dealing with my depression, which has disappeared recently. We really, really hit it off, and it was great. When I saw her name come up there, I was like, on the credits, I was like, oh my God, that was Brandy? Because we don't see each other. She's in L.A. Uh, I've only met her once for like four hours, but we really hit it off, and we become friends through Facebook and everything, and we confer back and forth as you do, and it just uh, it just blew me away. I I just so I said to Katie, I've got to see Brandy. Where is she? She said she's right in the other room, you know, over here. Here, I'll I'll lead you over, and. Uh, when she saw me, she just dropped everything, gave me the biggest hug, and uh, she said, "How are you doing?" You know, because we confer a little bit about you know my depression problem, and uh, how are you doing? What's going on with you? Uh, I said, "Well, first, wait. I got to tell you, I, I, I did not even recognize you in this movie, Brandy. I didn't even know it was you until the credits came on." She said, shut up. You're you're kidding me, right? I said, I didn't know it was you. I had no idea this was you. Uh, You disappeared in it. And uh, it was a really remarkable performance. She said, well, that's what an actress does. She just disappears in it. There's no more of me. It's It's all the character. And I said, well... It certainly achieved the brief, I'm telling you, because you just knocked it out of the park. Again, uh, the movie is Poor Jane, and uh, Brandy Burr is the actress, and Katie Orr is the uh, director and writer, and uh, it was uh, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I, I got so emotional, um, and I told her how I was doing. And I told her about the recent incident that happened in my life of the of the blood pressure attack and everything, and how uh, the most amazing aspect of it was that once I had that incident, which I guess could be analogous to a kind of a stroke or something, I guess, 
I don't even know what a stroke is, really. But uh, when this happened, and I don't even know if you guys know this, but I will let you guys know and the and the audience know. But ever since then, my depression has disappeared. It's been a miracle. And I don't really believe in miracles or, you know, a God or anything, you know, I believe in the universe, but I don't necessarily believe in a God. But if I, I told Brady, I said, if I was a religious person, I would say that I thought the, the hand of God had touched me and said, you've had enough. And uh, she just uh, gave me the longest hug that I've had in a long time. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, overwhelming. And uh, we sat together at dinner afterwards, which was very fun. And I got to talk to uh, a lot of people there. And uh, But uh, I just loved sitting next to her. She's just a wonderful person and a wonderful artist, uh, really in a really great movie with a, by another wonderful artist who now I now call a friend. Yes. Yeah, so. I'm glad that story has a happy ending. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Isn't that nice? Well, okay. Uh, you know what? I was reading Jeffrey Wells' thing on uh, on uh, Cuckoo's Nest, and he said that in 1971 he did a production uh, of it on stage at a community theater, and he played Dr. Spivey. Right. And it rem- it reminded me because in 2000 I did a production of it because I wanted to play McMurphy, so I convinced my community theater to do it so I could play McMurphy. And the guy that played Spivey uh, had such an interesting story because he got a DUI when he was visiting this area, and he had too many DUIs on his record, so he was forced to stay here for six months. So he said, well, i got to find something to do. So... (laughs) He the play. That's why he was in the play. He was a he was a great guy, though. I mean, uh, you know, I don't appreciate the <laughs> that was his way of finding something to do. I'll just do a play while I'm. <laughs> wow. Why? Yeah. Why not? It was within walking distance. All right. Well, you know. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jerry. Jerry, I know a movie that you've seen that I think we've all seen. <laughs> For one, all three of us have seen it. Hmm. Hmm. And you you could talk about it first, Jerry. You were never oh. really here, and, and I know you're here. Oh, have we all that's seen it? Oh, okay. Yes, uh, we've all seen it. Wait, so wait. Oh, that's so it already showed at the Atlanta Film Festival, or yes, it showed on Friday. So I saved saved it for you. You saved it for me. How, how what a, what a treat. Okay, no, I thought the movie was great. It's but I think it's I think of the four movies I've seen by Lynn Ramsey, it may be my favorite. Mm. Um. Without a doubt, it's not as how should I say? It? I, I just walked out of. You, we need you, we need to talk about Kevin. I just wanted to kill myself. Um, <laughs> I really no. I really that well, well, that kind movie of a just, horror movie. It, it's a horror movie, but it's it's just so oppressive as being too kind describing that movie. I like <laughs> the movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just the kind of movie. It's not a Friday night movie. No. If, and neither is this one. To be quite honest with you, but not <laughs> yeah. as much as a. Um, it's pretty impressive though. Yeah, it's but it's not as um 
as down downbeat as Kevin though. Kevin is just a whole other realm. Um, mm, I think rat first, catcher. Well, <laughs> rat, catch, rat, rat catcher, catcher is uh, God. I, I remember I, I rented that from the video store. God, when it was, I was living in Los Angeles, I remember renting that because I wanted to get getting ready to go see Morbin Caller, but I never got a chance to see Morbin Caller in the theater. Yes, um, I missed that one too. Yeah, but that's a great movie. I mean, I think before that, I would have said that was my favorite movie, but I think this one is. So this is um, Joaquin Phoenix playing a hitman for hire. Um, it's it's not. It, I won't say it's. It's it, at times hard to watch. I think, but he's you know. Would you what? Would, how would you? What would be the best way to summarize this movie for view, for our listeners? How would you summarize like a quick plot take on this? Is it possible to give a quick? Yes, plot? yes, yes. Well, sure. he's he, he's, oh, a, he's he's a veteran. Yeah. He's a veteran who's clearly suffering from some form of PTSD and kind of suicidal tendencies, and, and yeah. you know he he's been exposed from a young age to violence in the household. Yes. That's pretty much yes. all he knows, and that so is. that makes him that makes him uh, ideal for uh, to do kind of underground hits yeah. for uh, various ne- various nefarious so people. Let's... But you can tell you can tell that it's corroding him. Oh, it's, I, would, I wouldn't say I say it's corroded him that he has any. That he has any faculty left at the time we meet him in the movie is a minor miracle. Because, I mean, he's got yeah. the work that he does, the work that he does. And his home life, his home life is horrible with his mother. I well, mean, I mean, it's not no, horrible. No, it's, they, they get along. They get uh, along, but he's, she, he's, he's very a, tender to her, I think. He has to be. He has no other choice. I mean... The mother's very uh, far gone. I mean, well, there are choices there. I mean, you could not be. Kind yeah, of but I mean, I think I think he recognizes too that she she is a victim of violence as well. Yeah, she's and a victim so, of violence, I mean, I, but she's also, I mean, she's clearly she's got some issues there. Um, and I understand that. I mean, that just happens when you get old. As you get older, it's just unavoidable. But I thought it was very funny that they're talking about Psycho. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was hilarious. I was like, when he does the thing with the knife, the I love that. That was great. And it was just, it's also, it was nice to see him actually have some in moments of levity. levity in the film. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciated that. Um, I also, I just, I just thought, so first of all, I'm glad I saw it in the theater because it's beautifully shot. Oh yes, my God. Just, so. there's a one scene, just a, one beautiful horizon scene that's just like mm. absolutely takes your breath away. Absolutely um, agree. Um, so it's happy about that. But I lots just think of interesting a... close-ups too, like very yeah. very tight close-ups. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. But I just so he's he, you know I have to say I think because hmm, you take the master and inherent vice. Um, he's had a very interesting career, but I think he's become like he's the greatest actor in America. He may okay. very well be because he I, look is. At, I mean, not only those. I mean, he's only made I think one movie. I'm not crazy about it's the Woody Allen movie, Irrational Man. I'm just, I like that movie. I even think he's, uh, he's he pulls that movie out of the fire. That, well, he, he just, I'm glad some, someone pulls it out of the fire. Um, but um, but no, I mean, otherwise than that, though, I think he's. I liked him in Buffalo Soldiers. I mean, obviously to die for. He's never really. When has he been bad? Tell me when I, he's been bad in any movie. Even when he was known as Leaf Phoenix, he was good in, yeah. in Parenthood. Well, yeah, I know Parenthood is the one. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't. You know what? I was like, confess to um, my girlfriend. I had no idea that that Leaf. I always thought he was Joaquin Phoenix. I had forgotten all about that. We had Leaf Phoenix. I thought Leaf Phoenix was just another Phoenix. 
Um, <laughs> I added another family member. From the ashes, you know. I know. I added that. another a... family member to the family. Um, Leaf, Leaf, Leaf was a different season. What came as soon as he fell off the tree? But um, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, I, what I also liked about the movie, or about his performance specifically, and we are so hung up actors with physical train, you know, personal trainers and being in top shape, you know. And when he let, I mean, he's a guy who looks like what a man looks like. When he, you know, that's where those shots with a, without a shirt on and everything, that's what right. a man looks, that was, you don't see that in a movie, a lot of movies these days. Well, a lot of them, a lot of movies are like a kind of like controlled by kind of wispy guys that yeah. don't look like, you know, they might be cast in a role of a veteran, a uh, war veteran, you know, but they don't really look like they've been through a war. They don't have. They don't look damaged. They don't yeah. look. Uh, they don't look muscular. They don't. But look, I thought uh, that was a good touch, though. I thought that was, was a great. And to have someone, a major actor like that, be able to do that, you don't see. You see. You you used to see that, by the way, a lot. You haven't seen that in the last twenty years. So I was really. That's something that really caught me off guard. Well, you you would never see. Um, Chris Evans or um, you know a, you know Matt Damon. Well, maybe Matt Damon, but you know you know a lot of these people, like like a Chris Pratt or something, who have you train a lot and everything for certain parts. You don't get to see that that often in a big movie like this. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was really that's something that caught my eye too. But I, I I thought it was a very well made movie and very you know very short too, not a it long movie minutes. at all. It's only ninety minutes. Yeah, it's very. It's like you you, you miss if you step out. You will miss a lot, so I would recommend sitting still the whole time. It's you know, it's it's like uh, you would expect, uh, you you might expect that it's going to be something like the professional, where he tries to save this girl and she kind of melts his heart and that kind of thing. <laughs> they don't <laughs> go you, that you way. You really would, you, you really would, but Brit Lynn Ramsey is not that. You're not getting that. Yeah. Uh, no. So I mean, the movie is a lot more opaque than that. Even the vi- the movie is brutal. And yet not graphic because mm-hmm. much of the violence occurs off screen or mm-hmm. oh yeah, really um, interestingly like over like uh, closed captioned uh, or uh, closed circuit television mm-hmm. yeah. or uh, yeah. in, uh, in in uh, strangely uh, edited sort of sequences you know with uh, you know source music uh, from the fifties playing in the background mm-hmm. and stuff and uh, very very uh, very unique but. Uh, you think that you know the middle of the movie is going to be where, where it ends. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it, it goes further, and there's a lot more to the story than what you what you were predicting it will be. It, this is not a predictable movie. It is uh, it's it's got a hey, it's got a Johnny Greenwood score. The score is something else. Johnny Greenwood's score is, is once again, and what I like about it, it sounds nothing like his other scores. That I, first and foremost, I like about it a lot. Um, but it's a great score. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a really That's good score. Elect, elect, electronic stuff in it, and we played mm-hmm. it at the end of last week's show. Uh, yeah. But the um, uh, I really I really did like it. I really did appreciate it. So, but uh, for for me, just for personal taste, so Kevin still comes out on top because I appreciate the unanswerable things about. Oh, we need to talk about Kevin. It's not I hate Kevin. It's just I. I it's, not, it's not the kind of movie I want to sit through again. I guess. I guess that's what I think. I You're think not going to put it on on a Saturday night to cheer you up. <laughs> yeah, it's not. A, it's, but it's a well. It's, don't get me wrong. It's a, there's something very perfect about that movie. It is. I mean, there's also I. I find actually some of the. I think the scenes of her in the 
president, Tilda Swinton and the president of the story, especially where she works and everything, just how much the collateral damage of something like that, what it does to a family, what it does to people. I, you know, you feel for her in that scene, especially the party scene at the office where she works. You feel just so much for her. And even um, for John C. Riley in the in the movie, yeah. you know, who is not yeah. painted as a as a villain at all or in, no. in any way. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's that that movie, you know, is kind of in the pantheon of like Rosemary's Baby and so forth, like right. kind of un, un, um, unimaginable sort of evil that is embodied uh in a in a form that uh we're not used to uh, characterizing in that way. Right, right, yeah. No, absolutely. That's a good that's a good description yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean I mean for me it's about the kind of the uh what part of your children are you? What part yes. are you responsible for? It's and then there's a reason why the color red um dominates Kevin because it's about blood. Mm-hmm. It's about what tra- what transfers through that blood. Mhm. Yes. Anyway, the, the three and a half hour documentary on Elvis that's premiered on HBO last night. I'm three hours through it. <laughs> yeah. So how is that? I'm gonna have to watch that soon. So is this Eugene Jurecki? It's, it's pretty good. It's one of those movies where uh, where there are no talking heads. It's just audio interviews and people mm-hmm. like Springsteen and Tom Petty, and principally um, Priscilla Presley, who's the producer of it. So uh, it's really music centric. So you, you you know where the music comes from and the creative decisions involved in making right. the music. And it's really uh, Colonel Tom Parker's bastard uh, centric too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's well done. It's good. And I, I guess it's good to keep his uh, like he needs any help. But for this generation of future generations to have to have you know comprehensive chronicles like this. To really give people a sense of where he came from and how how he held on to his uh, roots through much mm-hmm. of his life until it, it, it kind of got ruined. Right. Um, so I like it. I, I, I'm really looking forward to the King more, the other documentary about Elvis. That oh, from that's Eugene Jarecki. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Who made this one? I I don't know. It's mm. somebody I don't recognize. Okay. I'm sure I it's thought commissioned by Graceland. <laughs> okay. Wow. Two. You ever why been to Graceland? Two? Either one of you guys been to Graceland? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm supposed to go one of these days, but no, I haven't been yet. I will my be going. Be, my best friend is a is a massive Elvis nut, and uh, is uh, just knows everything has been there. You know, cause, uh, you know. So he's going to be in heaven this year with these two things, but. Uh, Wow, why this year? Is there is there a uh, an anniversary or something? Forty first anniversary. anniversary. <laughs> Whatever of, of his death or, or what? What? I don't know. I don't know. Well, guys, I mean, Elvis sort of transcends. Like, I mean, nationality and everything. A lot of people overseas still love. They worship Elvis. I mean, um, yeah. my girlfriend's father adored Elvis, so I'm supposed to take her to Graceland one of these days. So, I mean. He adored Elvis. I mean, when he died, well, the day that he died, and that news came forth, he was got he was very emotional, as were a lot of people um, mm. that he knew who really you know grew up with the you know with the king and everything. And they were really um, you know devastated by that. When there he was died. mass hysteria, basically. Yeah, 
I mean, but when he died, I, yeah, re- some, I remember when he died on the news. I remember, somebody, I didn't know who Elvis somebody was. was yeah. Somebody was killed right outside the gates of Graceland the day of his funeral. They were run over. There was Holy so much crowd, really? so many crowds. Yeah. Holy shit! There's no surprise there. I mean, because it, it was it was packed. You know, there was lots of activity. Uh, that, that's not a surprise to me at all. And mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, it's, that's that's an interesting mm-hmm. fact. Uh, um, I did not know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting how he. Uh, you know, it was a different time, of course. So when at the very height of his fame, he's drafted, mm-hmm. yeah. and he goes, and he serves two years or however long he served in Germany. Um, <clears throat> that was a big deal. Yeah, well, um, well, it was. Uh, can I ask a question about that? Do you guys, what's your guys' opinion on this? Was that was that sort of a uh, like government uh, kind of? I'm not a conspiracy dude, not anymore at least. But uh, was that sort of a government sort of construct to sort of uh, kept the guts out of the power of rock and roll by, uh, by you know, uh, drafting the king, getting him out of the game for a little while, maybe getting more control of the of the culture, and of course then the Beatles yeah. came and they because that, <laughs> that yeah that really oh, that worked. went out the that went out the horribly I mean. <laughs> But, if uh, anything, uh, if anything, his build up to going was was uh, used and promoted in a way by Colonel Parker to to really shine his image, mm-hmm. so that uh, even the detractors of rock and roll would have a great uh, admiration for him as an all American boy. Okay, another question for you guys: your opinion. Dick, Dick, I mean, obviously Colonel Parker was a mixed bag, and you know. Led him to success, but also limited his success in many ways. Yeah. Uh, for instance, if, if people don't know this, Elvis, you know, the makers of Midnight Cowboy wanted Elvis to play the John Voight role, you know. And uh, it was Colonel Parker that turned it down. Elvis was for it. He was ready to go. But uh, um, he didn't. It just wasn't – probably Colonel Parker wasn't making enough of a percentage on it, and he uh, he turned it down for him. Everything that Parker did for him uh, limited uh, – uh, you know, m- might have given him a certain success, but also limited his sort of uh, more critical success. And only, only when the 68 special came around did it uh, – was he able to recover – some of some of the uh, you know respect that he right. might have lost right. in doing those shitty movies. Well, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, the shitty I movies just, that he hated it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I, um, I remember, I guess when I was very little, it was Elvis's birthday, and they just had Elvis movies on all day, like on one of the local channels here. And I, because I, I had no idea who it was. I must have been like three or four. My mom was like, "Yeah, it's Elvis. He was like huge back in the day." And I was just like, really, like sort of like I remember just watching, like going going in and out of the room, just cause I had no idea what was going on. Just watching it, it was like, "Wow, it's Elvis!" And just it always stuck with me who Elvis was. Um, well, you couldn't escape it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah I mean, when, really when, we're our, when we're speaking to our grandchildren, are we going to be like? 
Yeah, Steve Gutenberg. He was big back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg. He was in these police academy movies, and he was really good in The Boys from Brazil on um, his best role. But um, but um, but no, I want to. So you remember that movie a couple of years ago, the Michael Shannon movie, Elvis uh, meets Nixon or whatever. Yes. Oh, we yeah. have to. What would be like the modern day equivalent? Kanye meets Trump. I mean, yeah, or yeah, maybe. Or Jay-Z meets Trump, or, uh, <laughs> or, or Jay-Z meets Kanye, or something, I don't know. Kanye's got to be in the mix somewhere. Yeah, because he, lo- I mean, the Kanye, I mean, I think Kanye is actually kind of like a closet Trump supporter, I think, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is, uh, what's amazing is, Elvis never played uh, outside of the U.S. Isn't that uh, incredible? Ne- really? I know, he never, he never toured he never internationally. Never played Britain. He, he wanted to, that was a goal of his. It was only because Colonel Parker wouldn't let him. Colonel yeah. Parker was not a U- was not a U.S. citizen, so he was yeah. afraid he wouldn't be able to get back into the country if he went with him. But he didn't let him go. Wait, wait, wait. To the end, a US completely self-serving Tom Parker. So a movie needs to be made about Tom Parker, like a, a narrative movie, I think. Wait, what nationality was Colonel Parker then? Wait a second. He was like know. Swedish or something. Know. He was Scandinavian. So we get Stellan Skarsgård to play um, <laughs> Colonel Parker. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> you got to admit, that was good. I just came up with that on the top of but my the, head. The role of his career. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a hell of a shit-kicking role, I'm telling you. Yeah, it could be. I mean... <laughs> wow. Yeah, something else. <laughs> Wow, uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, you know, lots of great stuff going on in the movies. We're just not used to this, are we? Uh, we've kind of been uh, lulled into kind of a slumber uh, the past few years. Like, I guess we don't have to pay much attention to things now. But uh, this year has just come in on fire. I mean, I know to some people it might not really look like that. You know, if you if your uh, uh, gauge for that is uh, the current box office or whatever, then uh, then you know, with the exception of maybe Black Panther or whatever, um, you know, you're not. I don't think you're necessarily going to feel that. But, but if you're a can movie we geek, talk like, about Black Panther. I don't know because I've never talked about it on the show, and I, I do want to bring up one point about it that I find fascinating. Okay. I think it's. I do think it's. I think it's one of the very best of the Marvel films. Um, I really do. I think it's even better than that because it is. It hit a zeitgeist that I haven't seen in quite some time. Maybe not since the original Star Wars or ET. To be honest with you, I just haven't seen anything quite like this. I mean, hasn't it? Isn't it like the third biggest? Hasn't it just passed? I think it might be the second, the the third third or second of of current. I mean, not adjusted for inflation, obviously, but yeah. It's, like, it's, it's third. It's, it's third, and then it's and then it, there's Avatar and Force Awakens, or, or there's Force Awakens and Avatar, and it won't right. That, and I that and high. I think in some ways but it's it better than both of those. Um, I think in some ways it, it's better than both of those. But I want to just oh, say, well, the top the top ten highest grossing has no accounting for taste. I mean, right. Uh, <laughs> but now that's, that's the side of the point. But um, I there's something I did want to say about the film. I, I an observation, something I've noticed in talking to some of my coworkers and everything. And 
I really thought this was really telling. They really liked the movie. One of my coworkers took his father to see the movie, who would not go see this kind of movie because he hadn't seen the other Marvel movies, so he thought he wouldn't be able to catch, you know, follow what was happening. And it turned out that was the exact opposite. You don't need to see the other ones. First of all, that's what I love about it. It's not dependent on seeing anything else. You can walk into this movie cold and enjoy it. And I and that's a big plus to me in this day and age when everything's so episodic. Yes. I mean, God, God, God help the someone who walks into the Last Jedi and hadn't seen any of the others. They're gonna run out of their, get burn their skull. Um, you know, or one of those, or any of those kind of movies. Not, and I love those kind of movies, but they, you do. They require you having to see everything before them, um, to in order to appreciate them at all. But the other thing that was really interesting was that, um, they, um, some of my coworkers, you know, liked this movie because they, it was the first time they had seen someone like them on screen and it wasn't a drug dealer or you know a, you know a slavery epic it was like a real someone they could look up to and they really appreciated that they really that's liked it. having the positive role something model. that wasn't that's, blade that's, the thing. <laughs> that's a huge thing um blade yeah but blade, i don't realize i know we don't blade you know wesley snipes always wants to bring up blade <laughs> um but and those are fine those are fine movies especially the second one but this was just something for them really it was they had not seen in quite some time, if ever if before. Ever. And it, well, was that, it, to me, it, really it, touched it was, me. It was a big happening. I mean, the, it, because what we saw was uh, the the kind of engagement that we haven't seen, frankly, since the Passion of the Christ. Because right. Because if you remember the you remember the Passion of the Christ, groups were renting out theaters. Mm-hmm. They were That's buying right. bulk, bulk bulk tickets to give away to communities. Um, to make sure the kids went to see this or believers went to see it or whatever. The same thing happened with uh, Black Panther in a big way. Yes. Yes, uh-huh. you're absolutely right. Um, it's a good... Actually, you bring... it's funny you bring up Passion of the Christ. You know how we were talking last week about A Quiet Place and how quiet the movie theater was? I think A Passion of the Christ is the only other movie I've seen in a sold-out crowd that you could hear a pin drop the whole movie. Oh, interesting. That, that yeah. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it was intense going to see that movie. Up at, people were standing up and screaming at the theater where I saw it. And they oh, were, really? I mean, they, they, yeah, they had their hands out raised and they're saying praise, praise Jesus and all. It was Holy a revival. Shit. Oh, a, a Passion of the Christ. Okay, yeah. I would believe that more for Black Panther than I would for Passion of the Christ because Passion of the Christ is such a esoteric movie. I don't see... Uh, you know, lots of uh, you know people uh, standing up like that in a movie that's all in Aramaic. You know, it just seems weird to me. But uh, yeah, uh, but it, it works pure, it, when it gets to the cru- crucifixion. It works purely on a visual level. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it, yes, it does. It does, but I I prefer uh, the Last Temptation of Christ personally. That's a movie that I can believe people. I I like the Pasolini one personally. The Gospel according to Saint Matthew, I think, is very good. Which uh, which you know, Temptation owes owes a, a tremendous debt to, and I agree. They're they're uh, they're uh, they're both great movies. And, yeah, mm-hmm. they know, are. No, they fantastic. are. They are very good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm right with you on that. But uh, um, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> well, so I went to I went to a student showcase last night because my uh, you know my best friend uh, is a film instructor at this art school, and so every year he has a student showcase for all all the movies that they worked on, and anyway he talks about me to his students throughout the year. <laughs> <for a point laughs> that reason. must be unusual. 
And uh, so the one time the kids get to see me, because I haven't actually, there's been a couple of times where I walked in his classroom and taught a couple of his classes. But uh, I haven't done that in a few years. So the one time they get to see me is during the student showcase. And so all these kids are, like, coming up to me and, like, Mr. Duvall and blah, blah, blah. And this one Mr. kid talking, telling me how his uh, his favorite movie or his favorite filmmaker is Scorsese. And I was like, well, what's your favorite film by him? And he says, Taxi Driver. I said, okay, you're saying all the right things so far. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, what's the one word you would use to describe Taxi Driver? About regarding what it's about. If you were to tell someone what that movie's about, what's the one word you'd use? And he couldn't come up with it. But for me, I mean, Taxi Driver is, um, and I think all the best movies can be summed up in one or two words. That's true. Uh, Taxi Driver is about loneliness. That's what Taxi mm-hmm. Driver is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Absolute crushing loneliness. Mm-hmm. That's, and you know, a lot it. of cinema is. A lot, a lot of, of great art. Well, of course, there's a great book out there called The Cinema of Love. I was just going to say that. It has Travis Bickle <laughs> on the cover. Yes. It has Travis Bickle uh-huh. on the cover. Yes, it's a great book. And I, actually, I actually, it's a line in the movie in Taxi Driver, God's Lonely Man. God's and if you think man. about it, yeah. God's Lonely Man would have been another great title for Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. A I lot mean, of yeah. Scorsese's movies could be, just Scorsese alone, are about loneliness in many ways. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Bringing Out the Dead is a good example. Yeah, Bringing Out the Dead. Um, yeah, both, you know, which is kind of like a spiritual sequel to Taxi Driver. Um, and uh, and Temptation of Christ, because, oh. you know, Christ is quite lonely in that movie. He's quite, yeah, no, or, uh, you know, well, even though he's or, surrounded by the uh, disciples and everything. Or Casino. I mean, Robert De Niro's character, you could say, sure. is very much alone. He's, wall, he's walled off. He walled himself off. Or Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. Sure. And the uh, the um, Kim Jong-il uh, subplot of Team America. That's all about <laughs> roaminess. Oh, yeah, that is. <laughs> what? Are, I was thinking this, though. Have you Rory, ever seen Rory, I'm so roamery. <laughs> no, but I mean, we've seen two movies. Team America in the interview about North Korean dictators. I just think there's a whole know, subgenre dude. of this now. I mean, yeah, we. I think we need a couple more. Oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> or hey, there, there it is. Trump and Kim Jong. There we go. There's the movie waiting to be made. Uh, no, yeah, that would be a great movie. And again, <laughs> it needs to. It needs to be uh, Brendan Gleeson as as Trump. Oh, Brendan that Gleeson. Was, as actually, Donald that's Trump. really good. Yes. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve that that he's, kind of actor playing him. But wow, that's good. Yeah, yeah. He looks like him. He's big. It, uh, you know, put a little, just a tiny bit of makeup on him. Chase the hair. Bong. Trump. <laughs> that's not bad, actually. <laughs> that's. A, I mean, I I'm mean, giving you all a thing to shoot for. You must shoot for this. Yeah, this is the thing to go for. I mean, this is the movie of movies. I mean, mm-hmm. has he ever mm-hmm. done an American accent? Brendan Gleeson in a movie? I, yes, uh-huh. he, uh, in a, a lot of movies, you know, where he plays like an American general or something. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, he's been he in always American. plays military guys. Yeah, because wasn't in um, Safe House, I think he was in Safe House, I think, um, which was um, about this, he was a government, he worked for the government, so. Yeah. Um, no, he's done it before. Yeah. He can, he can do it. So, you know. Uh, he'd have he'd have to work on it. He'd have to do something with his lips, you know, or whatever. But uh, 
I know that's a good. That's, I can't think of anyone else, and I can't wait to see the review on Twitter from the president about it. That Gleason doesn't know me. <laughs> it's true. I don't. You know, you'd have to, I guess, get some uh, unknown or maybe a uh, you know Korean star to play Kim Jong Il. Actually, I thought the guy in the interview did a pretty good he job. He did. He's the guy who's also on the show Fresh Off the Boat, and he was in Veep as um, he's in Veep. Remember as the mm-hmm. um, pre- mm-hmm. the rival candidate, and um, yes, he's a really good. There's actor, some guys actually. that are like there's some actors that are like go to guys for foreign dictators. Like the same guy played Saddam Hussein in like several movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know. And then when he wasn't doing movies, I'm sure he was signing autographs at the opening of a car lot or something. <laughs> or, the, or the Lebowski Fest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I signed a car lot. <laughs> These prices are insane, and I should know. Oh, God. Uh, do we have anything else to cover, uh, or uh, any other new movies? Or because um, I, I did want to talk about, you know, what we're gonna, some of the things that we'll be talking I like to about. Just mention briefly, just real quickly, just one movie I watched on demand last night. Mm-hmm. Um, Borg versus McEnroe. Right. It's mm. superb. Um, I have to, I have to talk. I don't. Just it is a it is a love letter to the uh, great the legendary tennis player uh, Beas Borg, but I have to just and the guy playing him I don't know his name off the top of my head he does a great job and speaking of Stellan Skarsgård as his coach that's why I thought of Stellan Skarsgård immediately because that was still in my mind but it's who plays John McEnroe that may be the most perfect bit of casting in recent history. It, it is the be- no. It really is, um, and he is our our good our good friend, Master Thespian Shia LaBeouf. That, there you go. This is perfect casting. It is the best. No, it really is because when you're thinking, you're watching. It's a, to give people our listeners. It's about all about the 1980 Wimbledon final, Borg versus McEnroe, where McEnroe really makes a name for himself and almost defeats. On Borg, but it's just and it, and it's a, that's how the movie is framed around that final. But when he starts losing his temper, which is almost immediately, but when especially on the court when he and he does say the famous line, "You cannot be serious" when he's going off on the umpire and everything, <laughs> you're like, "My God, this is perfect." I mean, not since Rick Moranis has saved the role in SCTV has there been a more convincing. <laughs> that's true, it's, but it, it is. You're absolutely right, Dean. But it is that you're watching it and you're watching his mannerisms and everything. You're just like, what does McEnroe think of this? I mean, because you know, it's amazing. But it's actually a very well-made movie. It's very well done. I was really impressed with it. The person playing Bjorn Borg. I'm going to attempt this. Se- Severn or Se- severe. Uh, Severier, 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 S-V-E-R-R-I-R, so you understand my my problem there. All right. Uh, Goodnesson. Yeah, and he's he's superb. Yes. He is superb, and he looks, I mean, just the resemblance well, is, is uncanny. That clears but that up. Thank you for pronunciating his name, because... Uh, well, I got the, that the last that, name is better than the first. It's a Scandinavian name. <laughs> got a little guy from Oliver. Uh, you know, 
I like I uh, like that movie, Borg versus McEnroe, uh, and I do think Shia LaBeouf is perfect for it. You know what was also good was HBO Sports when they did their little hour long special about that. Yeah, they yeah. do excellent sports programming. The, the yes, they do. Documentaries they have are really good, and mm-hmm. they themselves would all would all be great material for cinematic. Uh, I agree. You know? So uh, do, we mentioned that Stellan Skarsgård is in it, right? Mm-hmm. And another person that might be a good Trump. Mm, a Swedish guy playing Trump. I mean, maybe, mm. maybe. Stranger things have happened. Stranger yeah. things have happened. So yes. They got to get somebody. Somebody's going to have to play Trump in a movie one of these days. Yep. <laughs> it's, 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 there's not going to be not a Trump movie. Oh, there'll probably be more than you can, <laughs> more than you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, they're going to find a newcomer or somebody, but they're going to have to find somebody in that age range, you know. So there are people who are probably character actors right now who are preparing for it. Preparing for the for the end. The inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> the inevitable. Day I'll never forget. Like back, back 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 years ago when we were when we knew there'd be an OJ TV series, <clears throat> and we were going through casting ideas for the different characters like Cochran and all of that. And I posted that link on YouTube, that clip on YouTube after we recorded it, and somebody commented, uh, "Innocent people were murdered. This isn't a laughing matter." Bye, but were we laughing? Were we laughing about the people being murdered, or were we, were we trying to cast a, an OJ miniseries? And I, know. I didn't realize. <laughs> Man, people are just too goddamn sensitive. I think so. Just or nothing better to do, you know. I mean, well, you're not saying anything new there. Yeah, I know. Thanks. I know that. I know. <laughs> That's an ongoing problem. But, yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so what, what's coming up next week, Dean? Okay, well, next week we will be, uh, you know, uh, we're hoping to, you know, things can things can change while you're on the fe- on your feet at these festivals, and you can miss things or blah blah blah. But uh, we're hoping to cover documentaries like Black Mem- Memorabilia, which is pretty self-explanatory about the history of black. Uh, some people would say racist memorabilia. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, I That's got That's interesting. Isn't that an interesting subject? Uh, there's a, a comedy that takes place in Mardi Gras called Fat Tuesday that uh, looks interesting. Uh, again, I don't have a lot of the stars that, or, that might be in these because they're just not listed. But um, uh, also, one of my most highly anticipated uh, things is the new Deborah Granick movie. Uh, oh yeah, made uh, Winter's Bone, um, so that will be uh, playing at the festival. Uh, there is a new documentary out uh, called uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor." Yeah, it is about, of course, Mr. Rogers, John Wayne Gacy. Oh, oh, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the Academy Award-winning filmmaker uh, Morgan Neville is the director of that one and we're very excited about that and and the festival is going to have a Sesame Street uh thing and uh also the festival to, tomorrow you know it's, it's been very stormy here as i said and so we couldn't go today it was really ridiculous and and in fact um 
Jason Reitman is going to be a guest, was going to do a special thing today, and his movie was going to premiere tonight. Well, they had to move it to tomorrow because his uh, his plane couldn't land uh, here. So, uh, so they had to move it tomorrow to like 9 a.m. It's Monday. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, but he's still going to do the talk and everything. Uh, I'm not sure that I'll be able to make it because it's nine o'clock, but, uh, maybe I'll be able to see him and, and, uh, we've, we've talked before and so I will recognize him. Uh, and, um, you know, those are some of the things that I'm, you know, there's going to be a lot of shorts, a lot of, which are very tiring to, uh, to, because you know it's tiring to see you know eighteen different uh, credit sequences <laughs> in no, a row. You know, mm-hmm. it can it can really uh, wear you out. So you really got to pace yourself on the shorts. Because and also there's a you know there's a little bit of a sense that uh, you know uh, people won't have many chances to see them anyway. There's a documentary called RBG that's about uh, that's about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of our uh, one of our Supreme Court judges, so that will be playing on Wednesday. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of interesting stuff. Lots of, I'm I'm more interested in documentaries. I think they have a a higher <clears throat> success rate. So, um, but there's also a narrative film called When She Runs, which is by Robert Manchoian and uh, Rodrigo uh, Onita Beck and uh, Ajita Beck. And uh, these are the filmmakers that did God Bless the, Ch- the Child a few years ago, which was a surprise winner at the Atlanta Film Festival for Best Narrative Feature. Very unusual movie about a uh, teenage girl who's left in charge of her uh, of her much younger siblings who are running roughshod over the house, and she's trying to keep control while her mother is out on a drunk binge. And... Um, there's some there's an interesting uh uh Japanimation sort of thing I think uh uh with lots of voices uh, uh Whoopi Goldberg and uh Malcolm McDowell and uh Bruce Davison uh Frida Pinto and uh Peter Weller Ed Asner uh Abigail Breslin um and Nathan Fillion from uh Firefly and it's called um it's called uh, gosh, how can I say this? Nama Song, March of the Hollows by Sam Koji Hale. Uh, so uh, that that could be interesting. Lots of interesting stuff. You know, we'll we'll see what we get to what we get to see. No promises, but we'll see. You know I'm hung up on you 
wanted to be proud Easy to say no Yeah. 